Hello and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David and as always I am joined by the recovering Matt. Hello there. <laughs> We're recording this a day later than we said we would originally. Yeah. Uh, for re- We can go th- into on air if you want, we don't have to. I, I just had one too many bottles of red wine. <laughs> it- it's lockdown, I-, I was on a Zoom call with some friends and yeah. you know. One uh, thing led to another. It was one of those nights, you know, where the mood's so good, you just don't want to go to bed. Um, yeah, I mean, I distantly remember those days. What I will say is, I, I feel like your lockdown experience is very different to mine, uh, what with having a toddler at home. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I want to put a, a shout out to what I think's been the best lockdown idea of all. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my family members, my cousin Nathan, has in in this time where there's no sport or live sport, yes, has been self-producing and publishing <laughs> onto Facebook uh, live Lego pod racing. That's amazing. I think it's turned basically into a full Formula One replacement. Wow. So I put 500 credits on one racer and he came fourth. I'm disappointed, but I have yeah. faith in him. Mm. I mean, it's, I guess it's tricky. How how are you going to assess the uh, the uh, readiness of a particular racer in that context? Uh, he, he'd written full backstories for each racer. Um, oh, well, there you go. <laughs> pre-race press conference. Oh. He did everything. I admire that level of dedication to... Yeah. Pure, pointless nerdery. So this that, is my yeah. online plea that he continues to do Lego pod racing. That sounds amazing. Yeah, good, 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 good efforts to to that bloke. Uh, yeah, good work. Um, yeah. So I mean, actually, that's one of the things that you know, talking about lockdown. Yes, we are mostly. This is our season series six uh, wrap up episode, so we're mostly going to be talking about series six. But I feel like now is a good time to maybe touch on a lot of the Doctor Who lockdown happenings, of which there have been many, like yeah, a ridiculous but... amount, frankly. <laughs> Some would say too many. Too much Doctor Who. <laughs> you know what? I would almost agree with that. Uh, one of the things that the, the BBC have been doing is on their the, the Doctor Who page, On uh, more than once a week since the lockdown began, they've been publishing little short stories by different Doctor Who writers, including former showrunners like RTD, Stephen Moffat, current showrunner Chris Chibnall, uh, other writers for the current series like Pete McTighe. They've been uh, all doing these little short stories, and I haven't been able to keep up with them at all. What I actually ended up doing was kind of compiling them all into a... uh, into a, a an ebook and and whacking them on my Kindle, <laughs> so I I still got them sort of sat waiting to be read. Um, I, I can't remember what I was watching this week, and there was like a Doctor Who advert, and it it sort of piqued my interest because right? I was like, oh, yes. is it coming? Is it coming back? Because it had Jodie Whittaker, but then it had Peter Capaldi, and I was like, oh, there might be like some sort of crossover, mm-hmm. and then. It was like, oh, bloody hell, like, Eccleston's here, everyone. And it took me a while to realise that some of this was just old footage. <laughs> it, was just an, it was just an advert about the TARDIS, but I sort of forgot how much I'd actually watched. Yeah, no, there's... A, there, there, there's I mean, we are... In t- if we take it purely in terms of 
number of series. We have just completed series six of 12. Mm. We're at the halfway point now. In fact, yeah, we're, we're probably over sli- slightly over the halfway point. We can ease point lockdown. We're over the peak. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, some of the later series have actually got slightly fewer episodes. Mm. So I think in terms of numbers thing. of episodes, we are... Um, we, we are yeah, over halfway. Having said that, I did recently work out our schedule uh, with things as as we've got them currently planned. I think we're not due to catch up to w- to what's currently aired until January twenty twenty one. So right. you know, or was it twenty twenty two? I actually forget now. It, it must it, be twenty twenty two. No, I think it is. I think yeah, no, worryingly close. No, it, well, it, I, thinking about it, it is definitely twenty twenty two. So yeah, we've got a lot to get through. Um, but yeah, so other lo- lockdown stuff that's been going on. There's been the short stories, Big Finish, who we occasionally reference on this show. Uh, they've been giving away free episodes of stuff, um, which I've been quite appreciating because some of their stuff can be quite expensive. Um, so Did it's nice to have little tasters. That lady and her flying bus. Uh, that hasn't come out as a freebie yet. Um I'd love it if if an episode of that did though, because I am morbidly curious about that. <laughs> I'll go on record as saying as if that's the one they release, I'll commit to listening. To oh, that. that would be great. That would be great. If there are any ones that come up that I do think particularly uh, are worth our time, I'm I'm not averse to doing some big finish reviewing on this show as as things uh, move on. But um, but before we do that, the other major <laughs> lockdown thing that uh. We did. I did want to discuss. Well, in fact, you wanted to discuss. Uh, yeah. Was farewell, Sarah Jane. Well, I, I just thought you know we've seen school reunion that introduced me to Sarah Jane. Mm-hmm. We watched the first episode of Sarah Jane Adventures. Yes, we've watched Canine and Company. We have, and admittedly, you know, we haven't kept on top of Sarah Jane Adventures, and that's you know its whole own thing it is yeah but I, I i just thought it might be a nice time just for us to put sarah jane to rest for a little bit mm. yeah i mean well yeah we certainly I, I watched it as as bidden i would say i had uh, one constant thought when okay I it. what was that fucking hell david's gonna cry at this ah well um sorry to disappoint you if i had to summarize it in two words, it would be mawkish crap. <laughs> I thought was, you were going to say bullshit. It was, it was so overly sentimental. And I feel like this is, it, it is very much just a sign of the fact that I've not yet watched Sarah Jane. I have no investment in the majority of these characters. There were a couple of classic companions that popped up in there. There was a few that I recognised. I, I heard yeah. that Martha and Mickey have now got a son. Yes, yeah. So and I recognised Barbara and Thingy from the first episode that we watched. Mm-hmm. You may not have recognised her, but um, one of the on-screen uh, former companions that showed up, I think it was the first time that it cut away to video of yeah. a different uh, person other than the narrator who... Uh, smuggest man ever 
Is that, is that a Possibly. fair assessment? Like, I, I was just like, is he from Sarah Jane Adventures? Am I supposed to know who he is? <sighs> no, I mean, I know who he is. He's, I, I don't want to cast too many aspersions because he's, he's a chap called Jacob Dudman. He, he kind of became internet famous because he does some incredibly accurate impressions of the, of the modern series Doctors. He, okay. he does Eccleston Tennant and I think Matt Smith as well. And he nails all of them. It's quite impressive. Um, and actually, he's done a bit of work with Big Finish, like narrating short stories in character and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so ultimately, he's a good egg. But I did not appreciate his reading in this. It just it it just had this kind of supercilious air to it. <laughs> Um, not helped by the by the completely on the nose music as well. But anyway, I don't want to rip into this too much. Uh, what I wanted to say was um, the first character who popped up, uh, an old lady referred to as Joe Jones. You yes. met her in her younger days as Joe Grant, uh, a companion of the Third Doctor. She was a companion in the Demons. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, uh, obviously, Joe oh, Jones. She was now the one because... that fainted all the time, and she was quite klutzy. And yeah. obviously that's referenced in this. She knocks over a vase and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So she's kind of true to form. Um, they also, uh, later on, uh, Ace, who was a companion of the Seventh Doctor, she pops up in this. Um, and other than that, I think everyone we see on screen are all Sarah Jane Adventures characters who I have no emotional connection with <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> Well, I, I, I foolishly closed the website, and I don't think I'll be able to find it because I, I sort of sifted through Reddit to see what opinions were. Yeah, and funnily enough, I, I don't know whether it was a point in the Sarah Jane adventures or whether it was just sort of bit of news that came out in this. Mm-hmm. But there seemed to be a lot of support for the character I hate most, Luke. Uh-huh. And, the fact that he has come out as an openly gay character now, uh-huh. and how his sort of exclusion, because he's an artificial human, isn't he? And mm-hmm. he, he wants to know what it is, and how that had like mirrored certain LGBTQ people's experience. Yeah. There seemed to be like a lot of parallels yeah, that absolutely. people really praise. And like I say, I don't know whether that was the case that he was openly gay in later episodes of Sarah Jane Adventures. Or... Probably not, because I think he would have. That might have been. I don't know at what age his character was by the end of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just wonder whether plus, he was maybe like, a bit too, too young to really tackle that head on. And it was a different yeah. time where homosexuality yeah. was presented differently. Yeah, wasn't but it? but so. th- but then again, obviously. RTD was showrunner throughout and who well, who has right, obviously yeah. been a, a vocal advocate of uh, LGBTQ rights uh, for all of his writing career. Um, what, another thing I just want to say about yeah. Luke, and this this just makes me the worst person in the no, world. No, go for it, go for it. I, I couldn't get over his wonky eye when he was talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Like, yeah. he had sort of like, one eye looks to the past, one eye looks to the future. <laughs> it was really off-putting, because he was delivering this sensitive type. It's because he's staring straight down the camera as well, I think. That that yeah. kind of emphasises it in a way that it might not. And I think, can I also tell, say, camera work, professional actors shooting stuff in portrait on their phones. Yeah. Oh, my God. Get it together. 
like I know they they're aiming for this to be kind of intimate, and at the end of the day, they're all having to do it on their phones because they're all in lockdown. Yada yada. That's fine, but flip in, shoot it in, shoot it in landscape. Unless you're particularly needing to evoke that sense that this is found footage from somebody's phone, which isn't in the case of the way this is presented as a story, mm. there is no excuse not to shoot it in landscape. None whatsoever. But anyway, yeah, so that... that... Final question on that, then. Yeah. Do you believe, is Sarah Jane dead, or did she go for one last adventure with the Doctor? Uh, that's the big thing, isn't it? And that's what that was the, the final button to get everyone blubbing, wasn't it? Um... Do, I do think, you think she's it would dead. Have, would it would it have redeemed it in your eyes if there was an appearance from the Doctor, whichever Doctor that may have been? It might have made it harder to resist its charms. But having said that, I still think the overall way in which it was presented, with the the, the music choices and the narration and. Everything about it just kind of slightly rubbed me up the wrong way. So I don't think there is a scenario in which this was ever going to have the intended effect on me. And I do also think a lot of that is down to the fact that I am not someone who grew up with Sarah Jane Adventures. I This ultimately, this is for that generation of fans who got on board round about 2005, 2006, 2007 um, at the height of the RTD era got into Sarah Jane Adventures and all the related stuff when they were kids. You know, I was already an adult by the time that was all happening, so I never watched Sarah Jane Adventures at the time. I have no nostalgic connection to it. So I just feel like, ultimately, yeah, I can sit here as a as a 30-something bloke having a grumble about it, but ultimately it's not for me. <laughs> you know? And, and more power to anyone for whom this was very emotionally affecting, you know, it, its heart is certainly in the right place. I will, I will give it that. So I, I know I said that was the final point. I've got two more things. I've, I've just <laughs> go on, go just on, and then we'll move on because we've got a lot to get through. Yeah. So K nine has got a new owner. Oh yes, who was that? I forget who they said. Was it Ace went off with K nine? I don't know. I thought it was someone Holly or something. I I think it was Ace. Um, I think oh, right. she's her her proper name is Dorothy. So right, I think it it was her that was referenced as walking off with K nine. That's cool. I would I would be up for like a tie in novel or a big finish thing or something with which is like K nine and company, but with Ace, I'd be up for that. And then my second point, going back to our episode last week, yeah, they didn't they didn't get Alexander Armstrong to play the part of the computer. No. It showed you the computer and everything. Yeah. But then and then is it weird? You know how I always pick on the fact that she like calls this little boy her son and he's yes. not. Yeah. Is it weird that she called her computer Mr. Smith? I mean definitely it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she's married to a computer and she found her son in a bin. Mm. It, it's a shame Jeremy Kyle's not on. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. 
Uh, right, so I, I want to move on from from the Who in lockdown stuff. I mean, there's there's other stuff that we didn't even mention. All of the Twitter watch alongs. Um, Jodie Whittaker did a couple of genuinely really lovely videos that she filmed like in a cupboard. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, uh, I, I I mean, say what you people have very varied opinions on her run as a doctor. One thing you cannot fault her for is she has fully embraced every aspect of this role, including the fact that she basically has an emergency version of her costume in her house that she can just throw on at a moment's notice to do a little video like that or to to pop over to a children's hospital or all of the other things that she does. So she is a a really good egg. Mm. And it's lovely. um, The lovely videos um, she's done just kind of the doctor being the doctor, reassuring everyone and uh, throwing throwing in a bit of humour and stuff. They're really nice. So those absolutely warm my cockles. Um, and yeah, there's just there's been so much stuff. It's it's really nice to see the way in which uh, both the fandom and the creators uh, and creative people involved in this show have really embraced the power of this show to unite and to reassure people in quite uncertain times. Uh, I think that's been a really nice thing to see. So, Do you, do you think it's done it more so than any other TV show? I, I don't know, because I don't really have any... I don't really follow anything else to the same extent that I do Doctor Who, but I think it has... It's quite uniquely placed to do that. Mm. The, the The longevity of it, for one, the fact that... Everyone in the UK from, from pretty much every generation except for ours grew up with an iteration of Doctor Who and have some connection to it on a, on a kind of instinctual level. Um, the sheer wealth of different people and, and out, you know, ways in which people can have a creative outlet through it, you know, be it prose, audio, video, it, it, it exists in so many different forms yeah, I think it's just quite uniquely positioned to lend itself to to, to these kinds of little things. So, um, but yeah, so 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 moving on from that, the other thing that I wanted to talk about you that's not series six related um, is quite an incredible thing that was announced uh, this past week um, a a crossover thing for want of a better word, called Time Lord Victorious. Did you have a chance to read the article about this? I did, yeah. This? I had a little look into it. Kind of mad, isn't it? It, it, it is. <laughs> My, uh... I've n- there is n- this is, to be clear, this is completely unprecedented in the history of Doctor Who. If this was like Star Wars or a property at that level, Marvel, well, something like that, I that, understand that's what doing something like this. That's what it made me think like of. Like, in the dark years of Star Wars sort of leading up into the prequels it's when we got the Shadows of the Empire crossover. Yeah, I couldn't remember the name of it but yes that's exactly so what got, I was thinking of yeah so we got the games and the books and the comics and everything yeah. basically and everything except for the TV show well yeah but I, I feel with Star Wars they did that because it was a period where there weren't any films and they just wanted mm-hmm. to re-engage the fandom. Yeah. Whereas Doctor Who is almost in its pomp still. Yeah, I think the thing is, again, it, it, it's the... You've got all this history. Uh, if people are free to do it, why not just do some other stuff? You know, mm. there's nothing stopping you. And whilst Doctor Who is, you know, um, as you say, it's it's still, I think, 
a very highly visible and popular show. Um, it's only on for, what, 10, 11 weeks of the year. And sometimes, you know, not even in a whole year. So sometimes it, it, in the Whitaker years and the later Moffat years, it was over a year between series. There's mm. quite a lot of waiting around in between. And whilst there are lot, you know, we've got Big Finish doing their audio stuff, Titan Comics, comics doing their comic stuff. We've had escape rooms and things before, um, and, and little games here and there. There's never been any attempt to try and unify all these different spin-off things, um, and that I think it, it will raise the profile of all of those other spin-off things, and ultimately make a lot of money for the BBC, BBC Studios, the sort of more profiteering arm of the BBC, hmm. which can then be reinvested into into other BBC services. And, um, yeah, I have no objection to them doing that because it's ultimately a very good thing, I think. And if it demonstrates that Doctor Who continues to be a profitable brand for the BBC, it sound, stands it in very good stead for continuing well beyond its current iteration which is always the big concern for doctor who fans is yes we've got it at the moment but it could be snatched away from us at any any second um there's a lot of paranoia around that within the fandom so i think it's really exciting and so to be clear it's it's going to be revolving around the eighth ninth and tenth doctors um which is you know runs the gamut of not quite classic. I mean, eight is in his own weird little gray area where he's kind of like not quite classic, not quite modern. Um, almost certainly there'll be some big finish audio stuff with him because he loves working for big finish, Paul McGann and, and uh, has done a lot of work with them before David Tennant has done a little bit. So there is a possibility that he'll do some audio. And the big question is, is Christopher Eccleston, is it just going to be comics, novels, other stuff that doesn't require any effort on the part of Christopher Eccleston? Or will he actually step into a studio and record some audio stuff with Big Finish? That's the big dream. And it remains to be seen because they've not given us a rundown of what's what with this yet. Hmm. Um but yeah, when when, I, when is it due to land? I think later this year it's going to start coming out. So, I mean, obviously this is stuff that has been in the pipeline for a while. Um, so there is there has been a certain contingent of fandom who are just like, oh, they're only doing this because the show's currently tanking and the critics hate it, and, 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 and that's nonsense, absolute nonsense. This would have been, they would have been planning this two years ago. <laughs> probably potentially before even Jodie Whittaker was cast you know these things take time to sort out so uh that's completely nonsense to suggest this is in any way reactionary to the current state of the show um but yeah that's my big hope with this is that uh maybe this is uh a sign that Christopher Eccleston is 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 coming into the big finish fold and what what a great way to do it! Really kick things off with a bang for him. So we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. Um, yeah. Uh, Go on, make some bold predictions for what That's this is going to be. I've done this series. Make make some bold predictions. Well, the title of it, Time Lord Victorious, and the fact that the poster has got 
David Tennant in full Time Lord regalia, you know, looking Rassilon-esque with the collar and the and the, the cloak and, and all the rest of it, suggests to me that it is predominantly going to be revolving around the Tenth Doctor somewhere around the end of his reign in sort of Waters of Mars... Because do you remember when he when he declares himself Time Lord Victorious and the yeah. laws of time are mine to command and has a bit of a meltdown, basically? Um, I wonder if that's ba- it's basically going to be an extension of that period. Uh, sort of the gap between the end of that and when we see him landing on the planet of the of the Oods. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in just uh, by which point he is basically just in full blown midlife crisis doctor face. <laughs> um, so that'll be interesting. I, I assume it's going to be about that. I mean, they did, there is some, there's some very vague blurb about it being set in the dark times at the beginning of the universe, whilst the Eternals were still young. And uh, who knows? At the end of the wonder, day, you've got I characters in we'll like, time. So. White and black magician people. Oh, the uh, Black Guardian and the, and the White Guardian. Yeah, yeah. the Swanhead. I would love it if the if the Eternals and the Guardians were involved. Because I love that part of the Doctor Who mythos and it remains one of the more underexplored corners of the Doctor Who universe. It's one of the things that brings it closer to something like Cosmic Marvel. Mm. Um, and, I, and Cosmic has always been my favourite part of the marvel universe so uh yeah i'm quite quite keen to see where that goes really um lots of potential and if it's really good and really interesting further down the line maybe we'll we'll stick some of it in our schedule maybe we'll tackle a novel or a comic or uh, Mm. or something that might be quite an interesting uh, thing to look at but anyway, that's I think that's quite enough preamble. This is supposed to be a series six uh, wrap up episode, and so far we've not talked about series six <laughs> once. So um, if you don't mind, I'm going to get stuck in with some questions for you because yeah, let's go. Ultimately, part of the reason I love doing this is as an experiment to see someone who is a Doctor Who skeptic how they feel about uh, various given aspects. So um, I've got I've got lots I want to talk to you about. So. Halfway through series six, you made a flowchart. Yep, the majority, I have it in front of me. <laughs> the majority of which, if memory serves, basically resulted in this being the worst series of Doctor Who so far. Now we're at the end of it. Was it the worst series for you? Um, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say worst, but I think it had an unfulfilling ending. I don't think that's an unreasonable assessment. I think there was a lot set up that could have been a lot more interesting than it was. Yeah, yeah. I feel like my big feeling with with this series, as compared to Series 5, which is the only other Moffat-run series that we've got to compare it to at this point, Series 5, he throws all these balls up in the air, and by the end of Series 5, he catches pretty much every single one of them. Mm. And it's a show-stopping, just like, Wow, I can't believe you did that. And for Series 6, Moffat's like, ah, you thought that was impressive, now see this. And has grabbed a fucking barrel load of balls, chucked it up in the air, and caught two or three. 
<laughs> it's not this, as impressive. This feels more like a first series, if you know what I mean. It, 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 there's there's a lot of stage setting and a lot of things set up that isn't necessarily resolved. Yeah, yeah and maybe I'd just fallen into the habit of. So far, each series we've watched has sort of been its own enclosed little story. Yeah, yeah. This this definitely leaves the door open for more things, mm. uh, more pieces of the puzzle. But and yes, yeah, so that does leave it a little unsatisfying. Um, I I also think the biggest, perhaps the biggest flaw of all of this series, is the way in which. Uh, one of the balls Moffat completely drops is the emotional one for his core characters. The emotional journeys of River, Amy and Rory make absolutely no sense. Well, th- there is no emotional journey. Exactly. The- these are earth-shattering things to happen to people, ordinary human people. And they, by just sort of bumbling along, like ordinary humans who haven't had an earth-shattering event, it just rings completely hollow. The The idea that you'd find out that your daughter is an adult that you've already met multiple times and that you're never going to get to raise as a child and have them, like, have them wrenched away from you by this kind of insane cult that wants to raise her as an assassin to kill your one of your best friends, which... Is, is messy, but that's essentially... That's the story, right? Certainly by the time you get to the end of A Good Man Goes I mean, to War, you, you that's where you are. You where your own daughter is also your best friend at school. Yes, yeah. Yeah, if we fold in Let's Kill Hitler as well, then yeah. So, so then, by the end of that point, you'd be an emotional mess. But instead, the next episode is Night Terrors, and it's just Amy and the Doctor and Rory off on a little adventure in a tower block. Yeah. I just I, I, I agree yeah. that's where I would lay the fault of this series. Yeah. Yeah. And I I I I I it's it's hard for me to look past that. I really try to appreciate each story on its own merits and I think there are some isolated really good stories in this. But the the arc that surrounds it makes it hard to kind of straighten it out in my head um so yeah um i agree with you i don't think it's absolutely the worst series and we'll get to our series rankings later but it's it's a big step down from series five it definitely is um Can, can i just stop you there yes uh we we did this i think last week or the week before and it's just happened now we've just Literally, as we're chatting, it's just come up that we've got a new Twitter follower. Oh, how exciting. Hello, Chris, at Actual Mountain. Hello. Lovely to have Uh, you on board. He's got bright pink hair. Ah. Your hair looks nice, Chris. Excellent. Um, So, uh, my next question that I've got here is, who is your MVP for this series? So, could be an actor, writer, director, anyone involved in the production of the show? I'm going to go twofold okay there's one where i think i like the idea more than the execution right which is craig yep i I like the idea that the doctor just has a non i mean i know they go on adventures yeah but a non-adventuring friend yeah yeah and i will admit i think james corden is very well cast in that role 
Yeah. He's well, he's very good at just being a, a, an extremely normal bloke. But he's no Rory, is he? No. Rory saves this series for me. Yeah. He is absolutely just the beating heart at the core of this TARDIS and team. I'm, I'm pretty certain I saw him doing some sort of lockdown video. Yes, yeah, there was. I've not watched it. It was one of the things that... that uh, there have been a few little videos made as part of these tweet-along things people have been doing. Basically, there's this yeah. this uh, I, I, person that's been organised, just roping in uh, actors and writers and directors, people involved in a particular episode, and everyone sitting down and watching them at a particular time. Obviously, me as someone who's looking after a toddler... Um, aiming to do anything at a particular time of day is always a bit of a uh, a bit of a non-starter. I I, I remember I watched it and I'm pretty certain there were a few people I didn't recognise. Yeah, I think... The Rory bit I paid particular attention to. Yeah. No, he's he's a good egg and uh, Arthur Darville I think plays him so well. Like, he really... I couldn't... To the point that it's hard for me to separate the actor Arthur Darville from the character of Rory. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I fully agree. Um, I, I, it's so nice that he is just a proper full-time companion in this series. It's the one big step up in series five where he's kind of in, kind of out. He's dead for a bit, then he's back. And, like, Amy is the focus. I love that it's them as a couple for this it series. It works so much better. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I- who who would you say? Um, I'd agree with you. I think Arthur Darville. It absolutely carries a lot of this series. I would also say Matt Smith is fantastic. Well, I, I don't want to jump the gun. Yeah. Because I, I've got your sort of run through in front of me. Yeah. And your next question is about Matt Smith and his portrayal. Yeah. I'm I'm worried going forward. Why? Because what makes you say that? Because each iteration of the Doctor we've had so far, yeah, I think I've liked more and more. I think I like Tennant more than Eccleston. Uh-huh. I'll, I'll be honest, Matt Smith's probably my favourite that we've yeah. seen so far. Yeah, And I don't know whether this trend can continue forever. Okay, yeah. I mean, uh, it's, a fair, it's a fair worry to have. Um, I, I just think he's brilliant in this. He is. He is. He he's so. I feel this series, even though the scripts are maybe taking a step down on average, his portrayal feels so confident. You really get that sense that he's like he can be really scattershot and zany and all over the place, or very tight and very focused. And you you get the intelligence, you get the humor, you get the sense of age and experience. Well, I think I mentioned it earlier that uh, one of the other things I've seen him in is The Crown, where yeah. he plays Prince Philip, and you don't get much more of an anti-doctor than Prince <laughs> Philip. No, absolutely and he not. absolutely smashes both roles. Yeah, yeah. No, he's, he is a fantastic actor. And it's amazing because he was basically completely unknown when he was cast in this role. Mm. He'd had a couple of small roles in other BBC productions, but basically he was... Out of all of the modern Doctors, um, probably the least well-known at the time of his casting. Um, but yes, has has complete, completely makes it his own here. Um, so yeah, big shout out to both of them. 
Um, I would also say I think some of the guest writers, um, if I can maybe say guest writers in general, I think did a really good job in this series. Frankly, this is quite rare that the guest writers consistently are writing at a higher level than the showrunner, but I'd yes, say that's the case for this series. the guest writer is Mark Gattis. But, you know, well, we'll discuss that in a little more maybe <laughs> when we get to my episode rankings. Mm. So... Whatever the flaws of this particular series, would you agree with me that Series 6 is the best-looking series of Doctor Who we've watched so far? Uh, There's certainly some elements that are very, very aesthetically pleasing. I think just the set design, the production design, the direction, the colour grading. I just really like the look and feel, the visual palette of this series. So yeah, I I'm, I just want you to agree with me here. Okay. <laughs> I'm not yeah. actually interested yes, in a different Avilion. Yeah. <laughs> it's great, it's isn't it? Beautiful. It is. It's a lovely it's looking like series. The first flowers of spring. Thank you. I'm glad we're on the same page on this one. <laughs> there you go. Um, and the last question. I, this is becoming a bit of a tradition. This question, and I I, I quite like throwing it at you, as ever. Uh, we've got some new new monsters and villains. Not as many that could theoretically come back as previous years. I feel like, you know, we can probably discount the possibility that the the robots from The Girl Who Waited are really going to carry another episode, for example. So I've not included them on the list. But of these, which would you be interested in maybe popping back for another episode uh, in a future series? We've got The Silence, obviously. Our kind yeah, of big bads for this series. You reckon? Yeah. Well, wait, wait and see. Well, we need to see what happens when he gets to wherever. Trenzalore. There you go. Yeah. Uh, we've got House from The Doctor's Wife. You might disagree. They do kind of... It's a fairly definitive end, but also part of me is like, in, if we take the sort of comics rule of unless you see them die on screen, they're not actually dead. He's, he's like a non-corporeal entity. There's no reason you couldn't bring... Uh, Michael Sheen back to do do that voice again. Mm. Uh, I'm not keen on that episode. Fair enough. We're, we're, we're going to have to tackle that <laughs> in more detail in a minute. Um, gangers, it's just a very loose concept, isn't it? The flesh, the flesh could make a comeback, so they could, it could go haywire in some other way. exactly what's going to happen with the gangers. There's going to be something incredibly similar. There'll be some sort of technology where you can make clones of yourselves and this, that, and the other. Uh-huh. But but it won't reference the gangers. <laughs> yeah, in classic Doctor Who non-continuity fashion. Yeah, I heard a quote the other day from Terence Dix, the uh, very prolific Doctor Who writer who, who sadly passed away not so long ago. Uh, and I haven't verified this. It's just something on another podcast I was listening to. But apparently he once said... Um, that canon is as much as the current writer can remember about what's happened before. Pretty much. <laughs> that is very much, especially in Doctor Who terms, that is how canon operates. Mm. I'd go for that. Um, we've got the Headless Monks. Nah. They're good as a one-off, but there's not a lot to them, is there? Yeah, if anything, I think they're the most likely to be mentioned just because we've still got Thingy sitting in that uh, in that box. Vault, yeah, yeah. 
Um, we've got the unspecified species of Minotaur alien that definitely isn't a Nymon. Well, that, that's probably the best of these for me, but also yeah. probably the least likely we're going to see again. <laughs> I'd say again, that's probably a fair assessment. You know, it's yeah. the best looking one, but it's also the most just throwaway monster of the week, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then finally, technically... They're a classic thing, but it's the first time they've popped up in the modern series and they could pop up again. Good old Cybermats. They'll be back. <laughs> Little Cyberman Woodlice. No. Give me yeah. my furry Cyberman any day. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I mean, I strongly disagree with that. They, <laughs> of all the Cybermen permutations, nothing is quite as daft as the Cybershade. Get them back. Uh, no, no. Um, I'm going to break up the rankings, I think. So we'll do episode rankings, then we'll do the waffling about the, the sort of theme of this series, and then we'll do series rankings, if that's okay with you. Yeah. Okay, so, um, so I mean, we kind of alluded to it. Shall we just crack through my, my final rankings for every story of this series? And I'm including the Christmas special. Yeah, go so on. I've got 12 in total to go through, and you can, as usual, chime in and tell me how wrong I am as we go. Uh, right at the bottom, number 12, Curse of the Black Spot. Yeah. I, I'd totally forgotten that episode sort of existed. It's about pirates! How can we forget about it? It should, it's the pirates! Know, that, that's, uh, it's not that I forgot it existed. That just seems so long ago. Yeah. It's. I mean, it is quite early in the series. They they do everything they can to basically bury it. Yeah. Because it's a, it's nothing. Uh, similarly, um, very thin on the plots. Uh, number eleven for me. Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe. Yeah. Would literally make no difference if we didn't watch that. Yeah. There's some nice moments, but yeah, just completely not compelling. I don't think. Um, number ten for me. And this is the first one where maybe we're going to part ways. Closing time. I I would maybe have it higher, but right. I, I can understand why you've put it there. Yeah. You know, like I say, I like the idea probably more than watching. Yeah, this yeah. Again. I'm absolutely on board with a sequel for the for the lodger. I just feel like it doesn't live up to the promise of that first one. I really love the lodger, but. It's, it's it it has that standard sequel um, problem of just being diminishing returns. I think um, number nine for me. Let's kill Hitler. Yeah. Of all the series arc Moffat penned episodes, it is the messiest and most tonally incoherent. Yeah. Because Hitler's barely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like that as a gag, I will say. I like that as a gag, but it's a bit too gag-heavy in total. There's some big things at stake, and Moffat just goes for the joke every time. Joke, 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 and it makes it hard to take any the serious bit seriously. Um, and the other thing I'll say about it is, whilst it's incredibly ballsy doing the, the reveal of Mel's, I wish he'd planned it well enough in advance that he could have set her up earlier. Like back in series five, mm. if we'd had references to Mel's as a character, then I would have been like, wow, Moffat, that is some 
amazing long-term strategizing. But because she's only, she crops up literally for the first time in this episode and then is dispatched by halfway through to replace Ray River Song, it feels like he just made it up on the fly. Yeah. Which he probably did. <laughs> yeah. Um, number eight for me, the Rebel Fashion and the Almost People. We're getting now into the territory of does not actively offend me and could happily watch. Um, it's not perfect. As I say, I do think it's unfairly maligned. A lot of people like put it right at the bottom of this list. I think that's unfair. It does a good job. It's maybe a little bit overlong. Um, but it's a lot better than a lot of people make it out to be, I think. Yeah. Uh, number seven for me. The Wedding of River Song. See, I'd have maybe put this one a bit lower. I, I, I don't really know how I feel about this mm. episode. It's a hard one to make your mind up on, especially on a first viewing. It, it's the one that I probably want to like the most, but I just don't. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's got some strong ideas, um, some really fun, like little little cameos and things, some good humour. Um, good bit of running about. It's just a bit too breakneck. I wish it had a little more breathing room. I wish maybe Rebel Flesh had been a one-parter, so there'd been room for this to be a two-parter. Mm. Maybe. Um, I don't know. I don't know how you fix the Wedding of River Song. But... I don't know. It just seems to be an episode where there's loads going on, but at the same time, nothing really happens. Yeah. It's like a mountain of candy floss. It's 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 there's a lot of it, but it's fairly insubstantial when you actually get into it. Um, okay, so number six, Night Terrors. Now a lot of people will put this way lower, but I am a a a, a staunch Gators defender. I don't think he he's the greatest writer the show has ever had, but I think he does solid work, and this is a solid episode for me. Uh, I don't know. I mean. I don't want to give the game away too much, but one of the things that really taints this episode for me is, and we edited it out of our recording, yeah. was, uh, it's the first time you've ever shouted at me. And it's because I made an offhand comment about about their house and how nice it was. Yeah, that... that... <laughs> I went on a bit, a, a bit like uh, last week, I went on a bit of a rant... Um... So, Night, Night Terrors is my all-time <laughs> least favourite episode because oh, it's the closest I... we've ever come to fall <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, you you, 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 yeah, you brought out the, the ranty socialist in me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had, to, um, I had to delete it because it did not paint me in a very good light when I, <laughs> you were finished with me. <laughs> and I feel bad about that as well because I know you're not, you know, you're not actually like... It was. It wasn't really directed at you. It was just directed. At, it. It's a lazy thing that people trot out that I that, that rubs me up the wrong way. Um, but anyway, because right. again, like people won't know this, but I've got in the bank what you said last week. So <laughs> yeah, I did. I did a bit of editing last week as well. <laughs> uh, you're going to throw that at me at some random point, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> anyway, um, so n- number five, we're getting into what I would consider to be like the the upper tier of this series. Yeah. 
Number five is a good man goes to war. See, I I would probably put this in the same position you have. Yeah. But the one bit that elevates this for me is where we just see the Doctor just going around the universe, just murdering everyone whilst <laughs> he's looking, looking for Amy. Yeah. It's just him and Rory just, you know, yeah. ass. It's probably the biggest episode we've had so far in terms of mythologizing the Doctor. Mm. Like, giving us a glimpse of the reason why, you know, Daleks will, will kind of turn and flee sometimes <laughs> at the sound of his name and all that kind of, that kind of like really grandiose, the myth of the Doctor. We get a flavour of it in this episode. Um, my biggest criticism for it remains the fact that it doesn't feel enough like Doctor Who because it's so con- it's all just about series arc machinations. There's no kind of even hint of a monster of the week mystery to solve kind of thing. And ultimately, that's what I come to Doctor Who for. I like it when it tells moderately self-contained stories, the sort of anthology nature of the show. And yeah. And Moffat's so concerned with his grand overarching plotting that he just, there's no room to put that into this episode. So I feel like that, it disappoints me on that level. Uh, number four for me, Impossible Astronaut and Day of the Moon. Uh, the, the series opener. Mm. You say what you like about how the, 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 the things that this episode sets up are resolved. It sets them up in a really intriguing way. I think it's a really strong series opener. Yeah, I would say so. It it certainly planted the seeds of mystery in my mind. Yeah, yeah. And the silence are really effective in this story. Mm. I'll, I'll admit, though, I didn't think they were going to be as important as they've turned out to be. Mm. Yeah, there, there's certainly there's a lot going on with them. Mm. Um, number three... Come at me, the Doctor's wife. Bullshit. <laughs> I I do think this is the what this is, uh, more than anything, any episode we've seen so far. This is just for the fans. Yeah, this is. I'm not like a cratchety old nerd. That's yeah. just like, oh, I love the Tardis. Oh, yeah, it, it is fan fiction with the budget of an actual TV episode. Um, but yeah, I don't, ha- I don't hate that. It's, it's fucking Neil Gaiman, Neil yeah. freaking Gaiman. You let him do whatever he wants. You know, that that's what it comes down to. So like it or lump it, it is what it is. I, re- I really like it. A lot of fans really like it. It was one of the ones that was selected for, for, a, for a tweet along recently. It's one of those episodes that does give people a lot of comfort. So, you know, it's a good one. Um, number two for me. The Girl Who Waited. Probably be my number one. Yeah, and perfectly valid. It's a, I would think it would be a lot of people's number one for this uh, episode. A huge step up for the writer Tom, Tom McRae, given like the Cyberman 2 part. It was, it was solid, but it was not perfect. This is him just being allowed, I think, g- given really much just a blank canvas, write what you want to write. And I think he, he comes up with something really special with this one. Mm. Uh, and number one for me, the gold complex. Uh, certainly be in that top tier for me. But yeah, I, I'd rank Girl Who Waited as my number one. I think either's valid. Um, 
but yeah, so I think the most notable thing for me to say, looking at this this list in total, and I it, I sort of surprised myself as I was doing it. I think I can say confidently, this is the only Moffat run series where there are no Moffat stories in my top three. Yeah, my top three are all guest written episodes. I don't think there'll be another series like that. So, you know, don't want to give the game away, but like, I think a lot of people would be quite happy ranking this as Moffat's worst series as showrunner. Mm. So I think maybe it's that difficult second album syndrome. You know, he's had a long time to think about what his version of Doctor Who would be. A lot of that went into series five and now he's just like, oh shit, what do I do? What do I do? <laughs> you know, It just feels like we've got like, Rather than the second act of Matt Smith's time, it's like we've almost just got another first act. Yeah, yeah, I can I can see how you you you'd feel that way. Um, so the other thing, I don't know how this is going to go. We've never tried this before, but something that really struck me on watching this series on this particular viewing was that unlike most episode, most series of Doctor Who, where you will have a series arc. I feel like this episode, this series also has a series theme mm-hmm. that's specifically being family. You've got the main arc of River and Amy and, and Rory and that whole aspect of, of uh, family where, uh, frankly, it's underexplored, but it's there. Yeah. But then if you look at a lot of the standalone episodes, Curse of the Black Spot... That's father-son, isn't it? Yeah, rebel flesh and almost people. You've also got the kind of the tie between father and son and, you know, the guy who who, who gets melted and then... It's birthday, isn't it? Yeah, that kind of gives us our emotional through line for the episode. Uh, Night terrors, father and son again. Closing time, father and son. It, it's kind of all over this series. Yeah. And I don't know whether that's coincidence I've never really read anything to suggest that it was particularly planned that way or or even read a lot of fans talking about this aspect of this series, but it really struck me on this viewing that I, I it comes up again and again. to the end as well, and having seen this throughout the series and the yeah. Doctor's realisation that he actually needs a family as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't even think about that. Yes, yeah, and uh, yeah... Doctor with a wardrobe, yeah, that whole, again, that's all about a, a mother and, and children relationship. It's just all over it in a way that it's not been in previous series. And I think it's a mixed bag in terms of how well it explores that. I think Moffat is definitely the worst, where it almost hasn't occurred to him that, that these relationships have an emotional impact. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what that says about it because generally I find him quite an emotive writer. I just don't know what he was going through when he was writing this series, but it just doesn't kind of click into place. I think actually the best at it, and interestingly, because as far as I'm aware, Mark Gatiss isn't a father himself, hmm. but I think Night Terrors does it the simplest and the best in the way that it kind of comes down to doesn't matter who your kid is, just love them and accept them for who they are. Yeah, but also, although it's got, like, random doll ghosts in... Yeah. At its core, it's just literally a little boy who's afraid, and his yeah. dad doesn't want him to be afraid anymore. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so that that really hit me and it hit me on a level because this is my first time watching this whole series as a father. So it's been interesting for me to look at it from this perspective and be like, how does this change my understanding of these the father son relationships and father child relationships as an emotional hook? Night Terrors is the only one that actually had me tearing up because of how it dealt with that. Mm. So credit where credit is due to Mark Gatiss for that, I think. Um, yeah, I don't know if you've got anything else you want to say about that. Um, but yeah, it's just something that really stuck out, stuck out to me. No, I think it's a fair comment. Yeah. Um, so let's do series rankings. Okay. I'm kind of curious to see, like, you know, we're at the halfway point. How are you feeling about what you've seen so far? If you can, try and just give me your whole rankings and I'll see how that compares. Uh, I, it's hard for me to remember which is... <laughs> what happens? Specific. I'll try, I'll try and prompt every, you. Yeah. I'm certain at the end of every series, my rankings change. That's fine. But, that that will happen. What yeah. I would say is this one would be down towards the bottom. What do you think might rank lower? Because I could tell you what my uh, I, there will be one series that ranks lower for me. Go on, which and that that series two, Tenant's first series. I think it's got a strong finale, but it's overall quite a weak series in terms of the individual episodes. That gave us a Cyberman two parter, the Werewolf one, Fear Her. Oh, maybe then, yeah. Um, what else was in that one? I'm struggling to even remember a lot of the others. There is some good stuff in there. Satan Pit. That's a very good two-parter. And the and the and the ending's strong. Right. But other than that, those are the only real standouts of that series for me. Yeah. I would definitely say this was a downturn. Yeah. Um then for, I've got series 6 as as my penultimate uh least favorite. It it just doesn't come together. It just doesn't quite come together. Uh, series three I've got next, which I feel is that's the one where it's very much a tale of two halves. Front end, you've got a lot of crap. You've got the Shakespeare Code and... Uh, oh, God. What else is it? What's what's the first one where they're in the future? I know Gridlock's all right. But, like, back end, you've got some real stonk, you know really good stuff like uh human nature family of blood blink mm. um utopia um so there's some really strong stuff towards the end of the series but the first half i feel like it, it gets off to a, a bit of a wonky start um and then you've got eccleston series you've got Series four, which is one with Catherine Tate, and you got series five, Matt Smith's first series. How would you rank those three? Um, I'd probably, I'd probably mirror that up. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the order I would go in: series one, then series four, and right at the top, series five. Yeah. So that's um, that's kind of where we're at, at the moment. And like you, I'm sure my rankings, you know, uh, shift about a bit. Every now and then, you know, on a given day, I might be more forgiving to series three. <laughs> you know, who knows? Um, but yeah, it, it's it's funny. These things are very fluid. 
I'm sure if you asked me to just rank the episodes of this series, I'd probably come up with a different list on a different day. Um, but, eh, what can you do? Um, so the, the only other thing that I wanted to do before we go is send you this link of a little something to watch. Because you were saying at the end of The Doctor, the Widow and the Wardrobe that it feels like you've got no idea where we're heading for Series 7. Um, it feels like almost, you know, when the Doctor's joining Amy and Rory for Christmas dinner, like there's no real indication of where we're going to go from there. So I have sent you a link to the omnibus edition of a series of minisodes called Pond Life. Mm -hmm. And these were originally released on the BBC website in the run-up to Series 7. And they're quite short, like just five, uh, sort of like one-minute uh, episodes. And yeah, this, is, this was our big tease other than a trailer to set us up for Series 7. So we'll give that a quick watch and then maybe chat about it after. Yeah, well, I, I'm going to click play now, so we'll do it like a little watch-along Yeah, people. You know, okay. you can put the link in the show notes. And... Yes, I will do that, and so we're just going to do three, two, one, play. Play. Oh, so it's called Pond Life? Yep. So he's got looks the like... surfboard? Yeah, and it looks like Sontarans. Bit of uh, Moffat's usual carry-on humour there. And he's a grime artist now, apparently. <laughs> Does the TARDIS look different? I think it's just how it's lit there. So, are they just sick of hearing from him, so they just toast him? Oh, uh, to yeah, they're just, they're just uh, getting these little check-ins from him every now and then, basically. Walks in on them having a bit of fun times. <laughs> uh, so he's hit them out of time again. Yep. <laughs> joke there. Yeah. A lot of dinosaurs, it seems to be mm -hmm. I just love their dynamic as a trio. So now it's Rory just pottering downstairs. I'll back up them, it seems. Doctor in the bathroom? That's your prediction, is it? Yeah. Got a little tease there of it. This is my favourite gag of this uh, episode. Oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> I'm just glad the you've still got his trousers up, seemingly. Yeah. 
That's nice. Nobody needs to know what's going on down below on a nude. Rory's looking well, isn't he? He is. <laughs> so now they've just got an ood. They've got, yeah, they've got their own personal ood. I like Rory's lunchbox. It's nice. Yeah. <laughs> I've just thought of a question I'm going to ask you at the end of this. Doctor's going to make a reappearance, but... I think I'd quite like an Ood, except I'd have to look at it, and I really don't like the look of them. <laughs> I don't know if you missed that there, but yeah. Rory saying he feels really guilty about having an Ood. So the doctor invented pasta. Yep. It's like the most doctor thing. Yeah, it's 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 a nice little just sort of like I love it when we get these little hints of things adventures we've not seen. Now Amy's sad. Mm, things have gone a bit serious all of a sudden. Oh. Oh. And he wipes the message. Oh, she needs him. Right, oh. so. So, yeah, yeah that's... Back. <laughs> yeah. So, right. so there you go. Bad's on the way. Yeah, something's going on with Amy and Rory. We don't know what, but uh, yeah, I, I quite like the structure of that. In the it's gag 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 gag, and then the last one is just like, oh no, yeah. things have gotten serious. Um, but yeah, before we we talk about that, um, so you were saying you quite like having a nude. The only thing that would put you off is having to look at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I'm with Rory on this. I would feel incredibly guilty having a nude. What, just because it would do literally everything for you? Yes. Yeah. I feel guilty enough when, you know, my partner's still doing chores and, and you know, and, I, and I'm like, I should be doing chores as well, but I've just run out of energy at the end of the day, which does happen. I feel guilty enough about that, but having just an alien whose entire purpose, uh, the only thing that gives it meaning in life is, is pottering around doing things for other people. Mm. Yeah, that would be quite upsetting. Um, See, my wife mainly does everything in our house because she knows if I try, I do it wrong. I get it, but I'm not allowed to do the hoovering for that exact reason. Yeah, 
And I try with all best intentions. Yeah. Like, my wife shouted at me the other day because I tried to tidy up once we'd had dinner. Mm. And she asked me, why do I always put the pots in the vicinity of the dishwasher, but never in the <laughs> dishwasher? <laughs> Yeah, that, that's one one thing that we don't we don't have a dishwasher. I am the house dishwasher, and it's yeah. I I don't have a pallet because I can do it well, and um, I could be really zen with it. I could just stick on a podcast and just get in the zone. Um, but yeah, things like things that require too much higher cognitive function, I'm really bad at because I just find it too boring. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not allowed to effectively like interact with our animals <laughs> wow I'm not allowed to feed the fish not allowed to get the hamster out the guinea pigs the rabbits oh man you know my in-laws own a farm what a life I'm not allowed to like touch the horses or what just just in case you accidentally immediately kill them yeah just a single touch I don't know where I've got this reputation from but so uh yeah as I say they it, it's it's pretty much gags the whole way through, but then at the end it kind of gives us a little tease of perhaps dark times thi- ahead. Mm, yeah, things are maybe not all uh, all roses and sunshine with Amy and Rory. So yeah, um, interestingly as well, that was written by future showrunner Chris Chibnall. Oh, was it Chibbers? Yeah, yeah, Chibbers, who didn't write anything for series six. Um, but he does have a couple coming up in Series 7. Be interesting so, to see. How yeah. Puts his stamp on thing. Absolutely. So, yeah, lots to look forward to there. Um, but before we get into Series 7, we have one more diversion, as is tradition. Um, we are going to be watching some classic Who, specifically uh, The Sixth Doctor. Only three classic doctors remain for you now to experience. Yeah, six, seven, and eight. Um, so, so who's number six? Number six is Colin Baker. Oh, uh, is he the weirdly dressed? Yeah, he's got the very outlandish coat and the, the curly hair. Right. Yep. Um, Look forward to that. Now, there was some debate as to what we watch for for. Colin Baker. I wanted to try and pick a good episode. Yep. You wanted to watch The Twin Dilemma, which has a reputation as being perhaps the worst story in the history of Doctor Who. And yep. is also his first episode. And it just so happens that um, I recently finished watching The Fifth Doctor era, and I was going to start plugging the gaps of um, The Sixth Doctor, because uh, I've watched some of his later stuff, but I've never watched The Twin Dilemma. And I was like, well, I've kind of reached this point. Maybe I should just wait and we can both watch it fresh. And we can see if it truly is as bad as its reputation has it. So I think that's what we're going to do. Um, so, yes, we will be watching The Twin Dilemma. Get uh, <laughs> and this could be... A painful experience for all involved if uh, its reputation is uh, it turns out to be correct. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I, I hope our listeners will join us for that. Um, uh, and apologies in advance. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and and uh, to make up for it, I'll make sure that when if we ever come back round to the Sixth Doctor, that we make it a really good one because he did have some good stuff in amongst the the uh, less good material. So <laughs> join us for that. Until then, as ever, thank you ever so much for listening, and cheerio. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.